And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, where we break down the greatest sport in the universe because things happen in the greatest sport in the universe that you never, ever ever in a million years saw coming. I know none of you said that Texas A&M would beat Alabama. I sure as hell know me and Ari didn't say that because we thought this was going to be a bloodbath. Texas A&M beat Alabama. And Ari Wasserman, when that ball left Seth Small's foot, I was sure it was going to be wide left. Yes. And then it curls back into the middle. And they won. They did it. Yeah, I, uh, you know, the timestamp, Andy, uh, of a text I sent you today. This is going to be the best show we've ever done. It must have been like 2 p.m. And this was before the Alabama game. And I will say, I don't, I, you're going to earn your chops today as a podcast host because I don't even know where to begin now. Obviously, I don't have Alabama's to do anything, to Ari. <laughs> I don't have to do anything. We just saw one of the more amazing results in college football in the last 20 years because. That Texas A&M team couldn't score against Colorado. It couldn't score against Arkansas. It couldn't score against Mississippi State. And they scored 41 on Alabama. 41. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I'll say this. It felt like a foregone conclusion that they were going to lose that game for much of that second half. And when they were down 38-31... I was ready to, you know, start this podcast. And then, you know, Jimbo Fisher got his, his squad back and had a, a backup quarterback that not a lot of people were fond of. And the way that that game ended, man, I just, it's just, this sport is so crazy. And, you know, we talked so much about how big this Saturday was going to be on our Friday show. And it was just like, this game wasn't even a discussion point. And like, this is what we're leading off with. You know, it's insanity. It's insanity. I love this sport so much. Well, and, and that's the thing. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of, of Bama A&M in a second. But let's think about this. Texas takes a monster lead on Oklahoma, which benches the quarterback that we thought might be the number one pick in the draft next year, and then comes back and wins. Ole Miss beats Arkansas when Arkansas fails to make a two-point conversion, and the final score is 52-51. to 51. Penn State is controlling a game against Iowa, and then Sean Clifford goes down, and Iowa comes back and wins. Michigan and Nebraska play an absolute classic that turns on an unbelievable strip and recovery by the same guy. Notre Dame is dead in the water against Virginia Tech, going back to the quarterback that they'd already benched because the other quarterback got hurt. And they come back and win. And then to cap it all off, Texas A&M, which could not score against pretty much anybody, and Zach Calzada, the backup quarterback who replaced Haynes King in the Colorado game and had struggled pretty much ever since, Zach Calzada looked like Joe Montana, Dan Marino, and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers rolled into one for and most Uncle of that Rico. Game. Yeah, and, and, and Uncle, Uncle Rico. Rico yes, uh, they can throw so football the over thing. the mountains. You uh, are a tremendous host, but you need two people to cap off this Saturday. You forgot a few things. One, BYU, who we thought might have a chance to be in this discussion, lost nope. to Boise State. They're out. LSU in Kentucky. That was a huge game for LSU. Kentucky steamrolls them, which oh, might have huge we, implications for LSU moving forward. We will be talking about that quite a bit later because... Either this is it for Ed Orgeron, or this was the last straw, and ultimately the inevitable will happen. 
But it's either going to happen now or it's going to happen later, but it's going to happen. And and one other thing, too, and I don't know if this isn't as interesting, but what's going on with North Carolina? I mean, North Carolina was an 18-point favorite, and they just lost to Florida State outright. So, like that, those three things, too, were super interesting and I think might have been pivotal talking points on the show had the entire world not ended. But it's just like as we try to contextualize what happened on this Saturday – there's just so much stuff. It's just like either the show is going to be an hour uh, longer than usual or we're going to miss a bunch of stuff. So, like, it's just it's insanity. It really was. Was that the best college football Saturday? Uh, maybe maybe one of the top three of my lifetime, but one of the best of the last decade. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because there were so many. I mean, all those games that I listed at the front would have been what we led with. All of them. Any Any one of those. Any of them could have been the best game of a week. And they were all together on one day. Now, I figure, Ari, we just talk until we pass out, basically. I'm, I'm on the West Coast right now, so uh, it, it is only 9 o'clock as we're recording here. Uh, I'm sorry your alma mater is still playing in Pac-12 after dark, and uh, we'll, we'll update folks as, as we go. But this is, this is just incredible. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say because – of all the results that we could have picked out of a hat, Texas A&M beating Alabama was not one of them. It just I, yeah. I would have never expected this in a million years because Alabama beats the teams it's supposed to beat. Like this is this doesn't feel like when Alabama lost to, to Ole Miss in 14 or 15 because those Ole Miss teams were very good. This doesn't feel like any of the Alabama losses to Auburn because those Auburn teams were all pretty good. And, you know, like the 2019 one, Tua was hurt. It was Mac Jones's – it was either first or second start. It was second start. So there were a lot of reasons why those things happened. This one didn't make any sense, mostly because Zach Calzada – where was that? Is that possible to repeat? Is that him going forward? Because this is a completely different team if that's the case. You know, I feel it's such a weird feeling because I don't know if people know this, but my fiance went to A&M. So when I moved to Texas, all of her friends and, and you know, spouses and uh, or her friends and their spouses are all A&M people that I've made friends with since I've moved here. And they are all so genuinely happy. Like, I have never seen them this happy. And it's just like, what a kick in the crotch that they have two losses already. Because it's just like, this was supposed to be the pivotal year. This was the turning point. And like, imagine if they would have just beaten the teams on their schedule that they should have beaten beforehand. And then this was it. They would be the number one team in the country right now, controlling their own destiny in the SEC. And it's just like, as great of a, of a result as that was, there is just a nagging feeling of me of just like, crap, A&M, what happened earlier on this year? It's just like because I know that they probably played way above their potential or their ceiling um, in an individual game to beat Bama, but they certainly are much better than the teams that couldn't score in previous SEC outings against teams that are certainly beatable. So it's just like, yes, this is a defining moment for Jimbo Fisher. He is the one that said that he will beat Nick Saban uh, before he retires, and he made good on that promise. But it's just like, what is A&M now, number nine? You know, like it, it just like it stinks because it's just the, the potential of where that program was this year. If you would have told me they're going to beat Alabama a month ago, we would have been like, "This is a team that has a chance to win the national championship this year." Well, if there were a twelve-team playoff right now, there, there is there would still be a chance. Like they would still have yeah. a chance to make it, and and maybe they do. I mean, if they go on a miracle run, maybe because I, I I think Arkansas. Well, Arkansas already has two SEC losses. So if if Mississippi State has two SEC losses, which they already have one, so they're, they're potentially going to get another one against Alabama next week. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that A&M wins the West and, and goes to the SEC championship game. Now, the, the thing that would hold them back from that is if they, the team that we've seen all season shows up again. And – because that team might not beat Ole Miss. That team might not beat LSU. You know, that, that team could struggle going forward. But right now, they may be able to, to do it. I mean, the possibility of them getting to Atlanta is not 
dead. And what if this is a 2007 type season? What? Because because okay, we saw Alabama lose or win by two at Florida, and we thought okay, Alabama looks maybe maybe a little bit mortal. And then they crush Ole Miss, and we think okay, well maybe they're not, but they clearly are. This Alabama team is clearly not as dominant as past Alabama teams. They don't look like they can beat Georgia at this point. If they get sucked into a game against Ar- uh, against Auburn, they could struggle in that one. You know, they they don't look infallible at all. So I don't know what happens with the SEC West. We've said it's pretty stacked. It's pretty deep. Somebody has to finish seventh. I don't think that's going to be Alabama. But now I don't think it's going to be A&M either. So, I mean, I, it's probably going to be LSU. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. We have a lot to unpack on this episode, and you know we're ten minutes in, and we haven't even really discussed the Texas game, which was one of the best college games I've ever seen. But I have a mission for you to see if we can do this by the end of the episode. You want to know what my mission is? What is your mission? Let's see if we can agree on the second best team in college football by the end of this this episode. Whoa, that is uh, that is that is going to be a challenge. That is going to be a well, actually, I think I may have an answer for you, and I think a lot of people may dislike the answer yeah i i can give you an answer right now you want to hear it can i guess what you're gonna say yeah guess cincinnati nope right state though you think ohio state i think ohio state is now the second best team in the country and i realize they have a loss to oregon but as as we've seen teams can can evolve as texas a&m has shown us as oklahoma showed us teams can evolve so I, I think this is going to be a blast of a season because, listen, I said that about Ohio State, but I'm telling you right now, Ohio State, Penn State, depending on what happens with Sean Clifford, we don't know, but Ohio State, Nebraska could be fun, given what we've seen. Ohio State, Michigan could be fun, given what we've seen. Ohio State, Michigan State could be fun, given what we've seen. I am I am so excited for the rest of the season after seeing what we saw today. But let's let's go to Dallas. We we we've talked about College Station, and well, before we go to Dallas, let's stay in College Station for for a second. I had some folks tweeting and texting me about Nick Saban's, I guess, less than aggressive approach near the goal line. They they settled for some field goals instead of going for it on fourth down. I didn't have a problem with it because it looked like for most of the second half that A&M's offense was turning back into a pumpkin. But then those two drives at the end, and it killed them. And, and any one of those possessions, had they been able to put it in the end zone instead of kick the field goal, Alabama wins the game. Do, do you think they weren't aggressive enough? Do you think Alabama wasn't aggressive enough? Oh, and by the way, remember, they did also they did the Dan Mullen thing from, from the Florida-Kentucky game where they kept all the timeouts in their pocket at the end of the first half. Yeah, and in the second half. Not that it would have mattered. But the, the one issue that I would have, listen, I w- if there's anybody I'm not questioning in terms of like strategy, right. yeah. <laughs> I, I think Nick, it's Nick Saban. Nick Saban has pretty much earned all He's respect. earned the benefit of the doubt That's for the it. next decade. But there was one sequence, and I can't remember what the score was at the time, but they were inside the five, and I believe they threw it three times in a row, which is not – usually what we see from an Alabama offense and you know they've got the 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 talent and the you know push to usually just 
you know, jam it in there. And the fact that they weren't even attempting it was kind of an interesting look. But, you know, I, I don't know if lack of aggression or, you know, offensive strategy was the issue there. I mean, after the dumpster fire of a first half that they had and, you know, even giving up a kickoff return for a touchdown after blocking a punt, it's just like they were up 38-31. I mean, they had the game. Like, I, I don't know that I look at what happened in the Alabama loss as Alabama losing it. I think Texas A&M won that game. Which they is did. What they had that, to come back would, and take it. That, yeah, they as, took it. And, and the te- yeah. all the Texas people with the, you know, come and take it flag, that they came and took it. That's what they did. And you know, you're, you're and exactly I, right. And the one thing I will say, too, is, you know, there were a few opportunities at the end of the game where I thought Bryce, Bryce Young left a few throws out there. And, you know, there were times when even when A&M tied it there at the end, uh, 38-38, uh, and Alabama got the ball back with two minutes left, like Jaleel uh, was right wide open in yeah. the middle of the field. And, yeah. and when you're talking a, about national championship. They had another drop earlier in the, in the fourth yeah. quarter where the ball, it was in the end zone. It was a perfect throw. It was in the guy's hands. He just dropped it. They ended up settling for a field goal on that possession too. So, yeah, Alabama had opportunities, could not take advantage. Texas A&M went back and took that game. And, and yeah. <laughs> And in just in incredible fashion. All right, let us move to Dallas, where Texas jumped all over Oklahoma, and it looked like it was going to be a massive blowout, and it was just going to be, uh, you know, Sarks brought Texas back. Bijan Robinson had his Heisman moment with that play where he broke like 19 billion tackles. Uh, it was it was incredible. And then you remember Ari, we were talking about this on Friday. And, and we mentioned this on the show last weekend when I, when I was talking to Sam Kahn. I said, do you think Lincoln Riley brought Caleb Williams in against Kansas State a few times in pretty critical junctures because he thought he might need to bring him in against, against Texas? And sure enough, we saw Caleb against Texas, and oh my God, can, can, you, can you get into the Heisman race when you get inserted in game six? It's so funny because I, you know, when we were watching the game, I was so excited to do this podcast. I was making my Texas back tweets. I was feeling good, you know, for the first half of that game. It was just like Texas is the undeniable best team in the Big Twelve. They have one loss. They've changed their quarterback. They're a different program uh, since they lost, and Bijan Robinson is really starting to become the star that everybody knew he would become. And then the meltdown there. It's like let me. I told you this was going to be a good podcast, so. Uh, I don't think anybody has ever broken my heart more than Texas does repeatedly in the quest to be right about Texas's return. And it's like, I'm getting to the point now where I'm just at my breaking point. Like, I just don't understand. What? I, I don't, I just don't get it. I just, are you coming over to my side where Oklahoma is just the better run, better overall program and continues to be and has been for decades and will just, but let me, Continue Let's to be just, as both of them move to the SEC? Yeah. Let's just I, – I, I think I am. I don't know. I'm so annoyed by, by this point that I've been trying to make for two years, and I was almost there to make it. Um, but, like, let's just pretend like Texas won the game for a second and, and just bear, bear with me on this. The way that Sarkeesian was calling that game, the way that Texas looked in command, the offensive – creativity that they were showing you know the aggressiveness the athleticism everything like for me the first three quarters of that game or at least the first half of that game is exactly the way that texas looks like as its final product in my mind like when i say texas is back the first half of that game that's what texas back looks like now obviously they didn't win and it was one of the most entertaining exciting uh dramatic finishes that we've seen in a long time um but it just seems like to me that even though they lost that game, that was the closest glimmer of Texas being back that we've gotten like in legitimate fashion in the last decade. Are you with me on that? No, because they, they made the Big 12 title game. They beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. We've, we've seen Texas play some decent games. No, no. I mean, just decade. like in, in this specific game against the the undeniable king of their conference and their rival – like if Texas ever comes back, I'm not saying they haven't had good wins or they haven't been on the verge of the back but, joke. But they but they looked they looked good physically dominating Georgia in that Sugar Bowl. They have looked good in the past few years. I just yes, thought that, looked, that that was the manifestation of my vision today, more well, so than yes, ever. Yes, but they've they've done that. 
they can't do it for a full game, especially not against Oklahoma. And yeah. I don't know why, but that's just the way it is. Now, with if, if Spencer Rattler gets left in the game, and I think a lot of coaches would have left Spencer Rattler in the game, Texas wins. And probably wins by a couple of touchdowns. Yeah, you know, I will say that the way that coaches coached games even maybe, I don't know, five years ago or ten years ago is evolving. You know, and I don't know if that's the Nick Sabanization of the sport. Uh, ever since Tua came into the game uh, in the national championship game, but there seems to be this quicker draw. It's like even even that I didn't watch the Notre Dame game closely, but I saw Tyler Buckner came into that game. You know, like you're seeing younger quarterbacks getting getting easier access to the field, and you're seeing bolder strategy and decisions being happened. I mean, it's like to pull your your Heisman favorite quarterback who people thought was going to be the first round pick in the NFL draft in the middle of the red river game. Like that is just the boldest thing a coach could ever do. And I understand that um, Caleb Williams was the number one overall player in his class and is very good and has played previously. But to do so that, what you're saying Ari is that stars matter. Yes, they do. I, I think they do, but yeah, Spencer also, was like, also a very highly yeah, recruit uh, number 11 uh, in his uh, class. I will accede that. Now, I, I, here's the thing. There's also so much more to that now. There is so much more to that decision in this moment. Because if Caleb Williams is better, which he certainly looked like he was, and he becomes your starter for the remainder of the season, Spencer Rattler's probably playing somewhere else next year. He's probably not going pro because he's not even starting anymore. And I realize I'm jumping way ahead, putting the cart very far ahead of the horse in this situation. But if Spencer Rattler spends the rest of the season as backup, I don't think he's going into the NFL draft. I think he's probably going to play somewhere else next year. And that's going to be wild, too. Yeah. You know, on the Ohio State podcast with Landis, I we always try to theorize and discuss how the the quarterback position at that specific program is going to look in two or three or four years based on who's on the roster, who's currently committed, and you know the natural progression of the way that the quarterback position has typically gone. And maybe Ohio State is a uh, crazy program where nothing seems to go to, according to plan, but the way that quarterbacks are coming into games and the way that quarterbacks are losing their jobs and the fact that the young quarterbacks are getting into games faster – like the natural succession of the way that the quarterback position is working at a place like Oklahoma, who recruits the quarterback position very similarly to Ohio State. It's just like if you would have told anybody a month ago that Spencer Rattler's uh, reign as Ohio- as uh, Oklahoma's starting quarterback would come because he got benched in the middle, middle of a rivalry game against Texas, people would have looked at you like you're crazy. But like in the current world of well, it, it would, of coaching, it is the second season in a row he's been yanked. Yes, but yet the yanked in this year, in this game. You know, especially considering what we were expecting him to be this year, it's just like, oh, okay, so he's just no longer the starting quarterback at Oklahoma and is going to go transfer somewhere else now. That's that's the takeaway after. And by the way, that's the main takeaway of an Oklahoma win that keeps them unbeaten. Like that's it. It's insanity. Yeah. By the way, uh, if you want to hear more about the Red River game, we, we dropped a pod right after the game. Sam Khan, Jason Kersey, and, and Chris Vanini were at the game. And, and recorded a podcast right afterwards. So uh, if you want more on that game, by all means, when you finish here, you have another podcast, one below it in your feed, all about that game. So by all means, please check that out because uh, those guys got into a very interesting discussion about this game as well. We are, that's the thing. Like when he made the move and Williams came in, I thought, okay, well, he's, doing what he did last year because that I mean that that move last year sparked Spencer Rattler and he came back into that game he led Oklahoma to a win against Texas and was really good the rest of the season and but that wasn't this we saw Rattler one more time and that was on a two-point conversion clearly because he's been the one practicing the two-point conversions but he doesn't look like Oklahoma's starting quarterback going forward no not to me you know, and the thing about it too is that when you have, and it's maybe we'll get into this when we get to the Michigan game, but when you have a legitimately talented player that is supposed to be a, a program altering or a, a program sustaining type of talent, 
who goes into a game and shows how good he is, even though we all know in theory he's supposed to be that good, it changes the entire brain chemistry of the way that you view that position at that program, whether you're the coach or a fan. And you had a, uh, a freshman out there um, doing what he's doing, and they win the game, and he makes that big-time throw to, to Mims that was a – was that a junior throw going – I mean, that I, throw was – that was an NFL throw. I shrieked when he made that throw. I just – I could not believe he made that throw. Do you want to know what I was doing? It's a flick of the wrist. You were saying stars matter, stars matter, stars matter. No. I was feeding my infant daughter, and her – head was on my forearm and the bottle was in my right hand when that play happened i accidentally dropped the bottle and i did the kevin McAllister hands on the face thing and the bottle dropped onto her and her head yanked back a little bit and i was like because i forgot i was feeding an infant like i I forgot where i was for a second and i know that sounds terrible it wasn't violent it just like Britt was sitting next to me and she was mortified because it was just like i could not believe what i had just seen no, no, no. She was no. I, I well, it wasn't as bad as I said, but it was just like I was shocked. And it's just those are the types of plays that you're that you're supposed to make when you're a third year veteran. And the reason why older players are left into games for longer because you're trusted to make that play in that moment. So if a freshman can come in and make that play, then what do you? You've brought up. What are you waiting? You've actually for? brought up the last time we saw something like that. You brought it up. Tua replacing Jalen Hurts was the last time yeah. we saw that. And that's exactly what that was in a, in a all-is-loss type situation where the guy comes brings you back for a miracle win. And, I mean, that's, that's your guy. Now, the difference between that situation and this one is there's another game for Oklahoma very quickly. It's not an entire offseason season to chew on it, to, to will will he or won't he transfer. No, they, they're just going to play another game. Spencer Rattler's on the roster still. He's going to be there in case, you know, if Caleb Williams gets hurt and Rattler's going to go in. Uh, they're going to try to politic the hell out of this so that hopefully both of them stay. I doubt very seriously that happens. I, I think whoever's not the starting QB at the end of the year is probably going somewhere else unless it's Spencer Rattler who has started yeah, he goes and the league, going yeah. to the NFL. But – Again, if he's not the best quarterback on his own roster, I don't think that's what's going to happen. But doesn't a, a play like that, not just the Mims play, but just the way that the game ended in general, doesn't that change the way that the locker room views you? Or, or at least views the oh, younger one? listen. It's the, the entire lo- chemistry of the We know the who locker the locker room wants. Yeah, we the locker room wants the guy who's going to help them win. They don't, they're not worried about really a whole lot else. If one guy gives you a better chance to win than the other guy, that's who the locker room wants. And so that should be actually fairly easy after that game. I don't think Lincoln Riley has to worry too much about massaging that situation. His, his goal probably will be if Caleb Williams is a starter going forward, keeping Rattler engaged and ready in case he needs to come in and then figuring out what the hell to do next year. But look, he's been stacking – five-star quarterback recruits that's what you have to do they're not all going to be stars they're not all going to work out and sometimes one you're going to have is going to be really good and you're going to take another one that's even better which is what happened with Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa and it's what happened here yeah it doesn't mean that Spencer Rattler sucks just might not mean it just means that he's the best not the best player on his own team teams could Spencer Rattler start on right now it's 90%. over a hundred, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's yeah. well over a hundred, so it's not that that's not an issue. So yeah, but you know how we, is, we you know what we've he, discussed he can, a lot in the past though. What's that? We've talked a lot about why the expectation for the quarterback position in the recruiting realm has changed to playing early, and the way that it's 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 changed a lot in the last five years to the prototypical thought process was which is i'm going to come in i'm going to sit for two years i'm going to learn the playbook i'm going to develop and then i'm going to be ready by the time i'm a registered sophomore to take over this team and it's like because this is exactly the reason for it because these players are much more advanced than they used to be and they are going to programs now where you have coaches that have the the fortitude 
to put them in. And when they put them in, they're making plays. So this is the message that's being sent um, to every other five-star quarterback that's currently being recruited. And it's this is the most important thing that we're talking about, I guess, from a roster management standpoint on this week's show. But I think it's also an indication of the way that the quarterback position is going to be viewed by coaches and by recruits moving forward. And I think younger guys are just going to get in the game more and older guys are going to get replaced. And it's like Spencer Rattler was out at the big card convention in Chicago signing autographs is like the first national NIL deal. And it's like, now he's going to get benched on his own team. Well, let that be a lesson to you folks handing out the money with the NIL deals. Your investments aren't always going to pan out either. You know, you, you mm-hmm. think you've got the, the next number one pick in the NFL draft. Well, maybe not. Now, maybe, look, maybe Spencer Rattler still is a first-round quarterback. We'll find out. He'll, he'll have a chance to prove that one way or another. It's like Jalen Hurts is a starter in the NFL right now. Yeah, Jalen Hurts is a starter. Exactly. We're giving this example of Tua and Jalen, and until Tua got hurt, they were both starters in the NFL. So it's it's not like this is the end for Spencer Rattler. It's just... Caleb Williams is really good. I mean, that that it makes you want to watch every Oklahoma game from this point. He is so much fun to watch. Well, it makes you wonder, too, because everybody was criticizing Oklahoma's offensive effort. Um, you know, the first four or five weeks in the season, it's just like, it's like is that the thing that's going to make them better? No, like it's like a one-stop fix. You know, Caleb Williams comes in, and then all of a sudden we're going to get that Lincoln Riley fireworks offense again, and they're going to be the team that's unbeatable in the Big Twelve and the actual shoe in to uh, maybe potentially push uh, Georgia in the playoff. Or is this just like you know what they needed in this one game, and they're back to square one in terms of how they're going to figure out how to get their offense moving? Like, do you view this as like the the, the problem solver? It certainly looked like it. Now, look, they, they still gave up 48 points to Texas. I don't know I don't know who they give up 48 points to the rest of the way, but they've probably got to play Texas again, or they've got to play Oklahoma State twice. And Oklahoma State, they're kind of being carried by their defense. So it may be that, that Oklahoma just can't score like that against the Cowboys, but we'll see. I mean, that game, that series tilts so heavily toward Oklahoma, it, it's hard to say. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know if this is the magic thing that changes it. Obviously, you know, we saw it with Alabama where the offense changed considerably when Tua got in there. I I don't know that that Williams and Rattler's skill sets are that different, but Williams was certainly very confident running the offense. And I'm I'm guessing if if he can come in cold and be that confident running the offense when he's got all the first-team snaps in practice – He's going to be really good. Yeah. I can't wait to see how they handle that. Like Lincoln Riley's got, got quite the task in front of him. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Before we move on to the other just berserk, crazy outcomes, let's talk about the one, maybe the only game that sort of just went as we expected. Uh, I have a a new verb for, uh, for Georgia games. Uh, what Georgia does is they mush people. Georgia mushed Auburn on Saturday. Uh, we were fooled slightly by Auburn taking it down the field and kicking a field goal on the first possession, uh, but they would only score seven more points the entire game. Uh, Stetson Bennett, up, Stetson Bennett, backup quarterback, uh, looked fantastic. You know, didn't have to be Superman, but looked pretty good. And they just mushed Auburn 34 to 10. Georgia will be the number one team in the country in all the polls. Uh, they look like the least beatable team in the country. But again, Alabama looked pretty unbeatable last week. And Texas A&M looked extremely beatable last week. And guess what happened this week? But they're playing Kentucky next weekend. Yes, they are. For, really, I mean, for the SEC's title. Because Florida's already got two SEC losses. So if Georgia beats Kentucky, they don't have to beat Florida because they're not going to lose another SEC game. So they're they're in Atlanta if they beat Kentucky. On a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being feeling the strongest, how would you rate your viewpoint of Georgia's probability of winning both Kentucky and Florida in back-to-back weeks? Well, they're not in back-to-back weeks. They get a, a back-to-back games. Before. Excuse yeah. me. Uh, I would I would say I'm highly confident that they won both those games. So like nine. Yeah, yeah. I am very confident because uh, this is the only Kentucky, part of their schedule as that's good hard. As Kentucky is this year, like Styles make fights. They're not designed to beat Georgia. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think they're going to beat Georgia either. But I'm just I'm just looking at. In a world where every single other team in the country has inherent flaws or has looked weak or has lost or has raised questions, Georgia is the only team in the country right now that you could say from start to finish of the year has never made you question or wonder whether or not they were really, really good. And well, if you look at their can, schedule... We've retroactively questioned the offense going back to the Clemson game. But... I mean, they're playing with a backup quarterback and still scoring points. Yeah, so and, if you, I, and also if I, you I don't go back, question it that much. And if you go back in time, and you remember how we viewed that game going into it, Georgia could have beaten Clemson three nothing, and it would have been fine. You know, and I know that we were wondering going into the game, uh, the games following, like the South Carolina game two weeks later, that you know, hey, will this team just bludgeon people to death with their defense, or will they be able to score? And you know, I guess it's all fair criticism, but. You know, if Georgia is going to show any vulnerability whatsoever, their three-game stretch right now that started with Auburn on the road uh, against three ranked teams, they're in the middle of it. And if they're going to have any sort of vulnerability, this is the time or it's never going to happen. It's like, I I guess we're just viewing Georgia as a team that's going to waltz into the SEC championship game and be favored against Bama. And, you know, even... we, We should learn our lesson given what we saw a few minutes ago. Like our, the well, yeah, but like Georgia's be. probably the happiest team in college football right now because what happened to Alabama has almost given them a pass into the playoff. They win their next two games. They play in the uh, they play Alabama in the SEC championship game. Bama with a loss already, and Bama wins that game. Georgia's still in the playoff. They're, they're both in. You're right. But here's here's the other thing. Kirby Smart owes a debt of gratitude to Jimbo Fisher, his former coworker, because. Now Kirby Smart can go to his team and say, so Kentucky being 6-0, and even if that wasn't enough for you, that should be enough to make you worry that you might lose to these guys. Look at what happened to Alabama. You have no excuse. You have to be ready. You have to be ready every week. There is no team, no situation where you can't get beat. I guarantee you Kirby will be bludgeoning them with that message this week because – Look, Kentucky over Georgia next week in terms of degrees of shock would not be as shocking as what we just saw. Yeah, I agree. 
you know, and I, I sometimes wonder too, like if you're in Alabama's program, if winning so much just takes the edge off. And obviously it hasn't because they've won over and over and no, over again. No, because they always like, got up for these games. Like this is But Georgia this, this is year really is not messing time. around. Georgia, this, like this, this has been Georgia's year since the beginning. They don't have they don't have time for for acting like they're the they, they need to get there. And it's like this year was handed to them on the platter of like this is it. Here you go, guys. Favorable schedule, really deep roster, amazing defense, offensive and defensive lines off the charts good. Like this is the year that you're gonna do it. And it's just like you go and you lose to a team because you're sleepwalking. It just doesn't seem to match the mentality of what that Georgia team should have, uh, regardless of what happened to Alabama, and I and I agree with what you're saying. Like Alabama usually acts, that, that and they should acting like Alabama usually does. Let's talk about the team that Georgia plays next week and what they did on Saturday. Kentucky controlled that game against LSU, dominated start to finish. They went at forty-two to twenty-one. This game was was fourteen nothing at halftime. It was twenty-eight-seven going into the fourth quarter. Kentucky looked fantastic. LSU looked lost. I think that's it for Ed Orgeron. I, I don't I don't know if they want to do it midseason. Scott Woodward has not fired coaches midseason before. Uh, he let Ty Willingham coach out a, an 0-12 season at Washington. But I don't I, – I mean, I'm a big what-must-be-done-eventually-must-be-done-immediately type person. So this is this is going to happen. Ed Orgeron is not going to be the LSU coach next year. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. You know, and basically when you're in that scenario, you have to like weigh, weigh the options of, you know, what does it mean to do it now? And what does it mean to do it later? And like my, my point has always been do it at a point where you can salvage your recruiting class. And maybe that's not quite as important to LSU because LSU has built-in connections with their state, and a lot of the and because they're LSU, the last three coaches have won a national title. Who's to say the next one won't too? So yeah, and he probably will. But you know, just for the sake of because they've recruited very well, that's like one thing that Coach O's done. You know, I mean, they've got the talent. So you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if we want to go down the road of pros and cons of firing him tomorrow or waiting till the end of the season but it's uh you know it's it seems to me to be imminent the way that you described it yeah and if you're usc you're going oh come on we can't we can't even be the best job open in the hiring cycle because <laughs> lsu's a better job let's let's be real here if, if you could go to a place where the last three coaches have won national titles most coaches in America would crawl across broken glass to get there. Let me, but before we get there, let me make a, a public service announcement or maybe an impassioned plea to one of our one of the people that we praise fairly frequently on this podcast, Ari. Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops is going to be in demand for all of the good jobs that open up. Everybody's going to want Mark Stoops. Mark, don't do it. Stay where you are. Kentucky's going to pay you like six, five, or seven million to stay there. Stay there. Enjoy it. Don't go to a place where a season like the one you're having now will get you fired. Don't do it because you're going to go like 10 and 2 this season. It's going to be awesome. You are going to be a hero in the state of Kentucky. They're going to love you, they will not question a single thing you do. If you go to LSU and you go ten and two, they're going to be like, "I'm not sure this is working out." And then the next year, one loss on their schedule too. It might be eleven and one. It might be. It might be. They they, they are and they're very good. Like we, what we always talk about the stuff that travels. They they do the things that travel. They block well. Uh, They're very good up front defensively. They they absolutely travel. So, uh, but Mark, just take the money to stay in Lexington. Just do it, even if it's a little bit less. Than what you get offered somewhere else. Take the money and stay in Lexington. You will be a happier person. You know how you and I have always banged the Kentucky is one of the best jobs, or if not the best job in the country. The best drum? job in America. Correct. So I, I still think that. But whenever I, we get into this discussion, whether it be on the podcast or on Twitter, the number one result of people saying or, or people arguing has always been, well, they'll never win a national championship there. And you and I define 
good jobs or best jobs differently because, in my opinion, you can have the best job and never win a national championship. But if there is a certain influence tapping on his shoulder, saying, you know what, Mark, you've done everything you can. You've built a program that, you know, wasn't very good before you got and there. And I, I would understand completely if that's what happened. I would understand. Because it's not about the money. The reason why Kentucky is one of the best jobs in America is because the Brinks truck has already been backed up. His buyout is huge. He's making a great great living. Their facilities have been redone. Like They, they have everything that they, they need to do to be a very competitive team in the SEC. So if you were Mark Stoops and you felt like, hey, I could go 10-2 and two maybe once every three years and be a hero – uh, or you know, knock off Florida, you know, once every five years, and feel good about that, and like that's what you want your career to be defined as. Then sure, go be the best coach in the history of Kentucky football. But if you want to go win a national title because you feel like you've already been fulfilled by building Kentucky, I would understand that too. So like, I mean, if Florida State has an opening, he used to coach there. He's been a name that was like, would you leave Kentucky to try to build Florida State? And the other thing, too, is that Kentucky has also been built because of its proximity to a state that he and Vince Merrill recruit very well. So if you start taking national jobs in Florida or California or anywhere else, Louisiana. you have to come up with an entirely new Louisiana. You have to come up with an entirely new recruiting strategy or, you know, a very new one. You know, because you're not just going to be recruiting Northeast Ohio prospects that don't have Ohio State offers to LSU. You're going out to get the five-star studs that you need to beat Alabama with. So it's like a completely different wavelength, a different speed than what he's used to now. And for that reason, I'm not necessarily sure that I view him as the best candidate to take over a powerhouse job. Because I think there are different coaches with different niches. Like his niche, I don't think, is to beat Nick Saban. I think his niche is to build programs that people felt like were impossible destinations into competitive teams. So doing that and building a program i think is completely different than than maintaining a power and being the best team in college football i'm not saying he can't do it but it's a different job in my opinion it's true if he if he were to go to a super premium job it would make more sense if he went to one of the big 10 that that would yes location matters right that would fit and if you put him at a place that you can win national titles in the big 10 it's probably not nearly as jarring a move like if I were Let's, Michigan, I would. I think he's he would be great at Michigan, right? But Michigan may not be open. Cause, yeah, no. I'm just as an example when you say Big Ten power, like well, Michigan is perfect. Let's, okay, let's let's move to the Big Ten. We'll start with Michigan because you and I both said we don't know what's going to happen in this Michigan Nebraska game. They both certainly look like they're playing better. Nebraska had a chance to win this game. They're they're driving. Adrian Martinez gets a first down. Uh, he's in the process of getting tackled by a bunch of people, the ball gets stripped. Michigan recovers. They kick a field goal. And then Nebraska starts to move the ball, but then four straight passes, and they're done because they didn't have any timeouts. Uh, I understand the frustration with Nebraska. I saw the look on Scott Frost's face like, how can this be happening again? What do we do? What do we do? Can we admit, though, that Nebraska is a much better team than the one you and I watched in week zero at your house and we fired Scott Frost after the game? Can we admit that? Yes, but the thing I want to know is we all saw how they lost that game, right? Adrian Martinez stripped uh, deep in his own territory in a tie game at home with two minutes were left on the clock or a minute and a half left. Is that coaching? Or is that bad luck? Like, why does this stuff keep happening to them? I tell you, I like tell at you a certain what, okay, point, it's like, what is that? It's not, that's, a, not, that's bad luck. But, but what is coaching is, and I realize they had no timeouts, but the trying to snap the ball as quickly as possible on fourth and 10 and then throwing a fade, which basically is the, we hope there's a, a PI on this play play. Like that is coaching. You can tell them, slow it down. I realize we don't have any timeouts, but we got to get this first down to keep going. And, and honestly, if you get that first down, you're not very far from field goal range. You're really one more Yeah, because you just need a field goal there. You're not trying to score a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. Brad Hawkins, by the way, I want to give credit to, he stripped the ball from Martinez and recovered it at the same time. It was an incredible play. Uh, 
a couple of incredible plays by Michigan players in that fourth quarter. Uh, the Brad Hawkins strip and recovery, the the Haskins hurdle. I don't think I've ever seen a guy that hurdle was and keep going after that without like breaking that. stride. Yes. Not just keep going without breaking stride. It was like he ran in the air. Yeah. So I, I here I, I'm I'm torn with the Scott Frost thing because they are clearly better. Like this is a good team. This is a team that can play with just about anybody in the Big Ten, but if they still shoot themselves in the foot every time, what do you do? Well, let me just ask you point blank. Did he earn another year in your mind? I feel like he has. But what if the record is terrible at the end of the year? What if this keeps happening? No, I think your past record at this point. I think you make a judgment call based on what you think okay, but, you see right, from... Okay, but I test... Yes, give him another year. Because this I think team that, can that, play. Yeah, well, the, the record of this team is gone. Like, it's it's over. They've got four losses already. And, you know, the thing that we were wondering after the opening season opening loss to Illinois was, is this team going to completely just mail it in? Is, is Scott Frost going to lose this football team? And I think that you deserve some credit as a head coach if you can reel things back in and take – um, a mountain, like uh, seriously, Mount Everest mountain of dysfunction and turn it into a functional football program or football team. And it seems like he's done that. But at the same time, every single week, Nebraska has an, oh no, oh my God, how is that happening? How was that possible moment to the point where I actually legitimately feel bad for their fans because it's like too. they won was, that game. I was so excited for, I'm watching them drive the the play before Martinez gets stripped, I'm thinking, oh, look, they they deserve this. They've put up with so much of the last few years. They deserve the celebration they're going to have tonight. And then the same stuff happens again and again and again. So, But if you're a Nebraska fan, do you feel good? Like, Do you be like, okay, well, our team is clearly on the right path. They're probably going to be favored in their next two games against Minnesota and, and, and Purdue. Uh, they're going to or they're hosting Ohio State on November 6th. I don't think that there's any stretch of the imagination they're probably going to win that game, but you know, like what are you what are you hoping for? Maybe you end the season with a win over Iowa and you know kind of make yourself feel a little bit good going into the offseason giving him one more year where this year is the the character building, buying in, you know, recovering from disaster, you know, getting together type of year and then next year is the win now or, or record Regardless of circumstance, if you lose games this year, you're done, or are we already past that point? I think if they lose games, they're supposed to win from this point forward because of discipline mistakes, coaching mistakes, that sort of thing. Then you still evaluate it on this year. You, 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 don't, you don't make that decision until the end of this year. If they win the games they're supposed to win, but they lose to Ohio State and they lose to Iowa, okay. That you're fine. You're you're on the trajectory is where it needs to be, and, and I'm okay with that. But I, I'd say let's pay attention to these next few games, like the the ones that they're supposed to win. If they find a way to lose one or one or more of them, yeah, they go out and lose to Minnesota. It's just I like bigger what are we doing here? Yeah. 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 So okay. But what about Michigan, Michigan though? Yeah. Are they good? Are they good? Do we know if they're good? I think they're. I think they're fine. They're fine. Is fine enough? I do think that it is, yes. Okay. Because I'm excited for October 30th. I am really excited for October 30th in East Lansing. I think that game's going to be so much fun because there's a good chance that both those teams come in there undefeated. Yeah, I mean, can we say, and I know we're talking about Michigan, but is Kenneth Walker one of the best players in college football? He, okay, if, you, if, if you're talking Heisman moments – he certainly had it on that long touchdown run. So yeah, I don't know if you can have a, a Heisman moment against Rutgers, but against you know, Rutgers. I know what you're saying. I know. I know. Yeah, I don't. Has anybody ever had a Heisman moment against Rutgers? But no, I mean, maybe not. I, I think that I think what had Jim Harbaugh's seat on fire, torching hot last year, wasn't that they lost games, or you know, it was you know the fact that they kind of fell back into the Brady Hoke feeling of stuff. But he seemed to have lost the team last year, right. and like this Michigan team, oh, they play is so the hard. type they play hard, 
they're bought in, and this is the exact Michigan team. This is what they were for the first five years of his tenure. Yeah, like this is an what above he wants, average. This is team. what he wants them to be, and and they win in a way that he wants them to win. Now, is that good enough to beat Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State? We'll see. We don't know what Penn State's going to be going Andy. for. It's never but been. Is it good enough so, to beat Penn State this year? Maybe. Right now? Yeah. Under these circumstances? But the question is, I don't think the question is whether or not it's good enough to beat Penn State. I think the question is whether it's good enough for the administration for this to be what Michigan is. Because if they want a 10-win team that can beat you know, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern, Indiana, then you absolutely have your coach. Like Jim Harbaugh has proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that he can put together a 10-win football team 90% of the time. And Michigan is going to win 10 games this year on a, on a really tough schedule. Now, it's backloaded a little bit. But, you know, before the year, we thought that Indiana was a little bit better than they are. And, like, this week they're playing Northwestern, and then Michigan State's a lot better than that they are. But it's just like if Michigan goes 10-2 and two with losses at Penn State November 13th and a win over Michigan State and a loss to Ohio State, then, like, 10-2 and two is just, like, exactly what Michigan is. But, like, is that good enough? Like, in order for Jim Harbaugh to be successful at Michigan, does he have to beat Ohio State? Because this team the way it's currently assembled is not good enough to beat Ohio state. It hasn't been for the first seven years of his tenure. So the way that you view this is, is this Michigan in its purest form? Is this what Michigan's always going to be? Or is this year a building block for Michigan to take the next step, which is just mashing people? Because like if Michigan was good, I don't care how improved Nebraska is. Like you don't have the game in question against Nebraska right, if you're would, a, a top five close. team. This is yeah. this is this is this team is is good. They play hard. They hit hard. Everything that you want to see out of a team that's bought into their program. But if you want to start talking about national perception or sorry perspective or context, Michigan isn't a, a top five team. So to me, the question is to the fans, to the administration, is that what is this what you want Michigan to be? 10 and 2, really really solid but not quite good enough to be the best or do you expect Jim Harbaugh to use this season as a jumping off point in order to achieve more? Which has always been the discussion since day 1 because when when Harbaugh took the job, it was always about winning national championships and winning Big 10 championships. But like in the East, this current makeup of what Michigan is is not good enough to win the Big 10. So what is it, administration? Is it stick with Harbaugh, be 10-2, and two, or is it find somebody that you think can get you over the top and beat Ohio State consistently? That's not a question they have to answer yet. They, they've got a ways. Well, they've had seven years to answer it. it. No, they, they haven't played Ohio State yet this year. So we don't, have, we don't even need them to think about the answer to that until they play Ohio State and we see where they are. But that's the problem. I think they should be obsessed about it. I think they should be thinking about it every freaking day, the way Ohio State does. That's okay, the whole thing. Think about it every day, but remember, you still got to beat Michigan State and Penn State, too. Sure. And, and Michigan yeah, State yeah, is very good this year. Penn State, let's talk about Penn State. We talked Penn State, Iowa was the matchup of the two highest ranked teams. And it feels like, even though it was an incredible game where one team was in control, its quarterback got hurt, and the other team came back and won it kind of got lost among the craziness of the day. But Sean Clifford goes out. It was 17-3 to Penn State. And Iowa comes back and wins 23-20. to uh, the, the Hawkeyes basically just suffocated Penn State from that point forward. Uh, Taquan Roberson comes in, couldn't really do much. Now, look, we've seen with Zach Calzado, backup quarterback, can come in and with some seasoning – you never know what what they might turn out to be, but it sure looks like Penn State really, really needs Sean Clifford to have the season they want to have. Okay, so it's minute fifty six of the podcast, and we haven't said the word mayonnaise. Yes, I will be drinking mayonnaise coffee on Friday's show. I lost the bet by one point, but, but I want to I want to extend an olive branch to you because I like you. If you think because listen. Everything I said about the Iowa game was wrong. I was wrong. That's true. And I'll admit that. You were. I thought that and Iowa our, was our just going to kick. Codes, by the way, pointing out that the, the confident person always loses these, was almost right. If Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt, he's right. But go on. I won 
because gambling is harsh. I didn't win because I was right. Okay. It doesn't and I know it doesn't that pe- matter though. I lost and, and here's the thing. It doesn't matter why I lost. I lost. And so no, that's I know, a bet. But I, I, and I'm But I just want mayo. you to know though. Okay, I just want you to know that people think I'm an arrogant asshole and I, and it's fine. Maybe I am. But I will admit to the fact that what I thought was going to happen did not happen, even if the scoreboard indicates that it did. And if you didn't want to drink the coffee because you hate mayonnaise more than anybody hates anything, I would excuse you from that because you were technically right. No, I lost and a loss is a loss. And so it's okay. Okay. I actually don't think this is going to be as bad as when I tried the spoonful of mayonnaise. I think I can handle this because as we've discussed, there are things that, that mayonnaise is a pretty key ingredient of that I love. Like, I love pimento cheese. You give me, if I'm at Bojangles and I have a chance to, to add a scoop of pimento cheese for 69 cents to my chicken, chicken filet biscuit, my Cajun filet biscuit, I'm going to do it. So it's fine. I, I don't think it's going to taste great, but I don't think I'm going to vomit either. I don't think it'll look you, like last time. Do you just want Will Levis to just cut it out already? Because, like, you are no, doing everything. No, because he's I providing hate. great content for the show. I mean, w- whether it's the banana or the mayo coffee or the beating LSU the way they beat LSU and, and us having to talk about what happens next to LSU, I mean, Will Levis has been a, a just resource for this show. I mean, we're going to have to – probably going to have to have him on just to ha- continue allowing him to give us great content. Here's what I want to say about Penn State. Because on the Ohio State show, I was kind of harsh. On this show, I was kind of harsh. And I have said over and over and over again that James Franklin has repeatedly lost in that spot. Top five game on the road has not been his strong suit since he took over at Penn State. And I know that it really, really stinks, but I think Penn State is better than Iowa. And if their quarterback did not get injured, that they would have won that game handily. So when you look at the Big Ten... Speaking of Will Levis... What if Will Levis comes into that game? Because Will Levis was Penn State's backup quarterback last year. That's right. Maybe maybe they win. But the thing that I will say about Penn State's current positioning, everything remains true that was true before this loss. They still have to play Ohio State. They still have to play Michigan, and they still have to, to play Michigan State. And even if they would have beaten Iowa, they would have had to win those games to get to the playoff. So if Penn right. State and is can, legitimately and a top they can play Iowa team, again and beat them and go yes, to the playoff. Penn State controls their own destiny. So depending on what happens to Clifford, hopefully it's a minor injury and he'll be able to play uh, at the very least in two weeks when they play at Ohio – or three weeks when they play at Ohio State – as annoying as that loss was for Penn State, I don't think that they should view it as the end-all, be-all, and I'm really excited to see how they respond to that because that just kind of sucked. Update, UCLA has just scored in the third quarter to go up 24-16 on Ari's alma mater, Arizona. The, the Wildcats are hanging in, though. They, they were only down one just a minute ago, and, and now UCLA has, has taken a, lead, a bigger lead. But uh, Jed Fish and the, and the guys – not not dead yet. Not given up. Jed Fish, you know, said, oh, we talked to Chip Kelly about a job. Chip Kelly's like, I never had that conversation. Jed Fish is going to, you know, maybe win this game. Maybe he goes, do you remember me now? Do you think he's going to say that if they win? I think they just need to focus on winning. And then, you know, yeah. not just today, just, just one win. Uh, and then we'll go from there. Uh, but I do have faith that Arizona will be increasingly more competent um, as they continue on in their building cycle, if things go the way that they're going in the recruiting realm, but but that that NAU and I mean their schedule is ugly. So oh, it's I, bad, I and, and Arizona yeah. State looks fantastic. Remember how I said on Friday's show that I couldn't believe that Stanford coming off a win against Oregon was two. The Vegas thought they were two touchdowns worse than than Arizona State. Holy cow! Was Vegas writing me wrong? Andy, Stanford had 11 possessions against the ASU. They got into Arizona State territory 10 times and have 10 points to show for it. I don't know if that's ever happened. It, it was it was bad. It, and, and look, Arizona State, Jaden Daniels looks very good. They look like your best team in the South. <laughs> Utah crushed USC, by the way. Every time I see these USC results, I'm like, well, that's it for Clay. Wait, they already fired Clay Helton. Never mind. They can't <laughs> fire him again. 
<laughs> so what happens next? Uh, but this is this has just been a tremendous day. We we haven't even gotten was I think Oklahoma and Texas was probably the 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 wildest kind of shootouty game. Alabama Texas A and M was certainly the the craziest result, the most unexpected result. Arkansas Miss feels like the one that just sort of gave us exactly what we were hoping for, like exactly mm-hmm. what we wanted. Two teams that could not score against superpowers last week, that bounced back, that scored a bunch of points against one another, and it came down to a two-point conversion. And God bless Lane Kiffin after the game. He goes, we didn't actually stop them. They just went for two and didn't get it. He's a national treasure. Um, so, like, next week, we're probably not going to be blessed with what we just were blessed with. But the best game of next week, I guess, is... Kentucky-Georgia, Auburn-Arkansas play, Oklahoma State-Texas, but yeah, on paper. looks good, too. But, you know, it's just kind of funny to me sitting here now on October 9th of just like we are eventually, what are we, a few weeks away, three weeks away from shifting into playoff ranking discussions and screaming at each other about who should be four. I have no idea what that is going to look like in a month. Which is Clemson great. Clemson and Syracuse play on Friday. Remember the last time Clemson went to Syracuse on Friday? I do, yes. There was a quarterback injury in that game, wasn't there? There, there was, and, and Syracuse playing very well with Garrett Schrader at QB. Uh, a game very far down on the list on Saturday was Wake Forest at Syracuse, but Wake Forest needed everything to stay undefeated, and they still are undefeated, but Garrett Schrader has done a great job since taking over as a Syracuse quarterback. Wake won in OT. <laughs> at Syracuse, and now Clemson has to go to Syracuse. And I don't know who's going to win that game. Is this the first time we've ever made it an hour into this podcast without saying the word Clemson until after an hour? But they didn't play, so that that had something to do with it. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) I I bet we would have said their name. Yeah, yeah, I I bet you we would have talked about them if they hadn't lost a few times. Yeah, and and another game that at the beginning of the season we would have said was a monster – and I'm just going to say it right now, just watch out for this one, even though uh, without the, the quarterback, it, it's a little bit different situation for UCF. But UCF's at Cincinnati on uh, noon Eastern next Saturday. I know we're handing Cincinnati a 13-0 record. As we learned, if, if A&M beating Alabama taught us anything, anybody could beat anybody. And I realize UCF doesn't have Dylan Gabriel. It's Joey Gatewood now. But UCF has very talented players. They could win this game. We cannot go into these next few weeks thinking we know anything. Because I don't if, think we if, should. If, if Zach Calzada and the fighting Texas Aggies taught us anything on Saturday is we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. The most out of left field, crazy result could rock everybody's world. And that's why we watched this amazing, beautiful, stupid sport. That was a great Saturday. That was everything you could have wanted. Here's to a bunch more. (laughs) 